Welcome to Uplifting Women Podcast. This podcast is sponsored by upliftingwomen.net, as well as Holly Tesca Coaching and Consulting and Regent Leadership Group. Join our co-hosts, Holly Tesca and Kristen Strunk, thought partners in the world of leadership, equality, and personal and professional development. Listen as they bring stories of inspirational women and their allies who are working every day for authentic leadership, equality, and inclusion in business, education, and community. These are the stories of the people whose mission it is to ensure others are seen, heard, and respected. They've overcome challenges in the workplace and the world or supported other women in doing so. Holly and Kristen are committed to uplifting women's voices, sharing inspiration, advice, and maybe even a few laughs from women and their allies about the work they are doing to promote inclusion and equality in our world. They believe that by sharing stories of challenge and triumph, we can all make the world a better place as we inspire others to step fully into their personal leadership space. We are so happy you have joined us today for our conversation. Hello, and welcome to Uplifting Women podcast. I'm Kristen Strunk, and I'm missing my co-host, Holly Tesca, today, but she'll be back in our next episode. I want to welcome Mandy Nicholson to our show today. Mandy is a creative genius consultant, artist, author, and creative retreat owner who helps creative women to launch, grow, and scale their businesses and make more money. In addition to running the Art Bank Retreat Space and B&B, Mandy is a published author and leader of a 12-month creative mastermind program. Mandy, welcome. Thank you so much for being here. I am so interested in learning more about your work and your background. Why don't you start by telling us your story? Right. I'm delighted to be here. I'll start with that. And my story is such a big one. I always struggle with where do you start with such a big story. So um, I did what a lot of creatives do, did my sort of exams, went off to art college, got my degree in art and design, and then couldn't find a job in the creative space. And this happens to a lot of creatives. So I got a proper job that paid the bills with the intent that I would go back to creativity. But what happens is you end up on the hamster wheel of life and you're earning money. And it's very difficult to step off that to follow your passion and follow your dreams. Um, So I built this life around this proper job and I was really good at it. A lot of us creatives are really good at what we do and we can adapt into many situations. And I became a really um, high profile leader in retail, um, you know, with company car and a six six figure salary and nuclear family, all of the things you're supposed to have when you're a grown up. But there was a void inside of me and that void was my creativity. Um, And it never goes away. You always feel like there's a, a piece of a jigsaw missing. And I was on my third marriage. I'm actually better at picking staff than picking husbands. (laughs) Um, And the universe reset my life for me. That's how I, you know, I can only describe it as that because I had a series of unfortunate events over the period of 12 months that literally would make your toes curl. And I went from having everything to ending up as a single mum um with two kids and two dogs living in social housing with literally 30 pounds in my bank account and a clapped out old car and nothing and when you're at rock bottom and when you've got nothing there's really only one place you can go and that's 
back up. And that's what I decided I was going to do. I wasn't going to stay at rock bottom. And I know some people struggle and some people do stay there for longer than, you know, than they want to. But I had my brain and I was going to use it. So I re started to rebuild my life and manifest using the law of attraction, manifest what I desired in my life. And it takes time. It took me time. Um, I manifested the perfect man. I manifested businesses. Still didn't go back to my creativity, though. Um, then 10 years later, I lost everything in 2009. And in 2019, um, my wonderful man that I'd manifested gave me a shove and said, stop talking about this creativity thing and just do it. Um, and I launched my creative business in 2019. I moved into my dream home with my dream man, my two kids, my two dogs. Everything was just perfect. And then 2020 happened, didn't it? Like you, pandemic changed everything. Um, I just launched this new business. Pandemic hit. And within a month of the pandemic, I lost my husband. He died. So I'd manifested all this perfect stuff and I was facing this life changing thing again. So, you know, we're in a pandemic with my kids at home and the dogs grieving. And I decided that I would just follow my dreams. What did I have to lose anymore? Um, and I put the house on the market, sold it the same day and moved to Scotland and bought ended up buying what I call my mini castle. I had a castle on my vision board and I bought my mini castle. And that's where I am following my dreams, doing retreats for creative women. I have this really successful six-figure creative business with multiple income streams and I'm helping creative women. So that's it in summary. It's a big story. <laughs> that is an amazing story. And I am so sorry for the loss of your husband. Um, that grieving process is not short by any stretch of the imagination. And I feel for you and your family. Mm -hmm. I'm curious in the midst of all of that, what inspired you to just start your own business? I know that you said you really thought you had nothing to lose at that point, but what was it that made you say, I want to do this for myself. I want to do it my own way. I think when when my life was reset in 2009, I decided then I didn't want to work for anybody else. But I kind of I played it small. I started a cleaning business and I started safe things that really I couldn't mess up because I had enough intelligence to make them work. But it was the big thing of going to the thing that you are passionate about, you, my creativity. When my husband said to me, do you know what? He lived with a life limiting condition. And he said, life is too short to be doing anything other than the thing that you love the most. And it was that, that push from my late husband, that was the thing that made me realize that I had been playing small and I needed to start listening to what my soul was pulling me towards. So I'm curious, what brought you to this place of focusing on women creatives? Um, and what was it about that space that really attracted you to the work that you're doing now? I think um, when I'd done the proper job and I was working in retail, I'd worked with men. I was the only female divisional executive out of 52 and I was the only female store manager for many years. And I'd been surrounded by men and that taught me a lot. Loved working with them, taught me a lot about business, 
But what I encountered along the way was lots of women that were in positions that were way lower than they should have been in. They were in typical administrative positions and talking to them. When I was a store manager, I was promoting them and I was bringing them through um, the ranks. And I had more female store managers, you know, working for me on my patch than anybody. Um, But it wasn't the norm. And then I began to see that a lot in life, that women were just in these roles where that it was so far from what they were capable of. Um, I met a lot of creative women along the way who were like, you know, doing it as a hobby, had been told it's a nice hobby, but you need to have a proper job because you'll never make any money from it. And I decided that if I was going to step into something, I would step into that space and make a big change. So it was about that. I knew there was loads of women out there playing small like I had been. Your ideal client's always a version of you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's a really, really good point. And and so when you think about that creative space, what types of things are we talking about in terms of how you define creativity and becoming a creative genius consultant? Yeah, I mean, I, w- I picked that name purposely so that it stood out um, and that people were curious enough to come and find me. Um I think it's anything create. I think entrepreneurs by nature are creative, but there's lots of women that are creative out there. They're dabbling in crafts or they're artists. I've had mosaicists. I've had authors. I've had um, pe- women who work with fabric and create things with fabric and crafting with fabric. So it's anything creative. Um And creatives think differently and work differently with the medium that they choose. In fact, I've got an artist at the minute who works with recycled plastic and creates art from that. So anything can be creative. It's just a matter of defining it. So where did you find some of the creative spaces in business when you were you know, in your business roles, where were you spotting creativity in other women and how are you kind of picking that out? It's how I found them was by networking, by going out there to not your traditional um, going for your seven o'clock breakfast meetings with loads of men in suits. There's lots of women's networking groups out there and the creatives are usually the ones hiding in the background that don't speak up that are not the, you know, there's always the really powerful, um, confident coaches that are doing all the talking and the, are the ones that are heard the most. And then in the background, there's somebody making pom-poms or there's somebody making something creative and they're very shy and they are introverts by nature. So by going talking about creativity and getting myself in as a guest speaker in some of these networking events, I was basically just sticking my head above the the pulpit and saying, hey, I'm here. It's okay. Come and talk to me. Come into my world. Wow. I'm I'm just thinking of the the power that must come with some of that, that real empowerment. What Mm -hmm. do you see shifting for these women as you work with them and as they kind of come through the process and the things that you've outlined in terms of your retreats um I think it's everything I do my words for this year is synergy and connection and what I see with these women is this and I've adapted everything I do as I've learned from these women in the last few years 
um, because there's a huge fear. First, the fear of investing in themselves, of actually taking that leap of faith and saying they're important enough to invest in because they don't believe they can create anything from their hobby, if you like, from their area of genius that will make money for them because they've been told their entire lives that that's not going to happen, the layers that society have placed upon them. So they come to me with a huge level of fear, with imposter syndrome, with limiting beliefs that hold them back. That's where I start. That's the first step, getting over that. And I do that through the business model that I use to launch my my creative mastermind program, which is a five-day challenge, free five-day challenge. Come along, get to know me, see what I can do in five days and make a decision as to whether that feels like it's something that you would want more of. And a lot of the ladies have done three or four five-day challenges before they've even converted into clients because they're so fearful. Well, and I think there's a lot of contributing factors to that. When I think about you describing the the craft that each of these women have and the talent that they have, but that they've been told it's a nice little hobby. Yeah. It's something for them to do in their spare time. Um, it's not going to make them money. It's not going to pay the bills. Mm-hmm. It's interesting to me because my mind kind of harkens back to other points in history where if you were of a certain class, you wouldn't necessarily get yourself a husband unless you could do embroidery, unless you could do all of those really creative and artistic types of work. And so it's it's an interesting juxtaposition in my mind mm-hmm. to have that conversation around something that was valued at one point and maybe not in the right way, we might argue, but something that was valued at one point and has shifted to be not necessarily valued to your point by society. And I'm just curious, where do you think that shift started? How do you think it became so common that women were so afraid to step into their creativity? I think it be, I think it's always been a male dominated industry. Currently, um I think the latest statistics are that 83% of gallery exhibitions are men. And 70% of um creative degrees at the minute are women, but most of those women go into administrative positions, not into the creative positions. So it's and it's quite um how do I describe it? It's very clicky at the top of the art industry where, you know, uh, so it's tough to get into because you've got these layers again in society generally where women are underrepresented in this area. So therefore it's, it's pushed even further down the layers, isn't it? So it looks hard and it is, it looks hard and it is, Um, but that doesn't mean it, needs to always be somebody's got to change it at some point haven't they well and looking hard and being impossible are two different things right and and I think that that's also important for us especially as women to understand from from the way that you were describing it that fear or that minimizing of what it is that they do as a a acute hobby or you know something relegated to Sundays and weeknights um, Mm -hmm. when you get together with the ladies and drink wine, right? Um, 
but I have a friend who whose medium is glass at the moment and she has a passion for it. That's why she got into it. And she did start to put herself into, you know, gift shops and galleries and things like that. And she's finding that she's not necessarily enjoying the creative process right now because it's now something she feels she has to do in addition to her family and her regular job. And I'm wondering what advice you have to women who are in the middle of making a transition to monetizing their craft or thinking about it in terms of how do you make sure that you're not really making it feel more like work? Yeah, it's a, actually, it's a really good point that a really good point. And I, I've just written this last year, this year, we're still in 2022. Um, and I'm starting to write a book on the mind of a creative because we think so differently and creatives get bored very, very easily. We are easily distracted off with shiny object syndrome with, with a million ideas coming in. And what happens is that causes you to feel trapped. There's a whole lot of psychological stuff going on there. So the minute you start to think, right, I'm going to do this for a living, your brain instantly goes, but you could do this. You could do this. So what I try and do is not fit the creative. It's like fitting a square peg into a round hole. You can't fit a creative into a business existing business model. You've got to try and create the business model for the creative so that they are challenged and that they are able to have different things going on in their business. So multiple income streams, but focusing on, you know, a core connection between them. Um, And I could give you an example of one of my ladies that's graduating from the program in January who joined me. Penny is wonderful. She joined me as an ambidextrous artist, paints with both hands and channels the energy of nature into a painting. She's wonderful. She had all this wonderful body of work. She was ready to pack her easel and her paints um, up and not do anything with it because she never sold anything. She'd never sold any of her work. And we had a conversation. She joined the program. She made that huge leap of faith and joined the program. And um, when we did a one-to-one, I said, what, what brings you the most joy? What do you love doing the most? What is it? And she said, well, I love volunteering at a disability center and seeing these disabled people put their mark on a canvas and create a beautiful piece and me as the artist to guide it and finish it off and it goes on the wall and they're really proud of the work she said I love that brings me great joy she's doing what she loves and it's a really nice business model I said so let's take that and put it into something that could make money for you what about events you could do corporate team builds you could do weddings christenings birthdays let's have a talk about that and how we uh, we get that working and within two days she was driving somewhere and she saw um, a sign for a wedding fair and she went along and she said can I come and this is what I do and I would love to come and, and they said yeah bring your easel bring your canvas come to the wedding fair and she stood there and talked to brides and grooms and they loved the idea of a canvas that was completed by their guests, like the guest book on the wall. And it's now a thing, and she's called it the signature canvas, and she's booked into 2024, and she goes to all the wedding fairs, and they absolutely love this 
unique piece that's going to be a reminder of the wedding hanging on their wall and it's it just worked and this is what you've got to fit the bon- the business model into the creative that's what I do I bring that to the party what a wonderful example of identifying what somebody really cares about yeah and helping them recognize how to do that then full-time and and make that the way that they operate what a so it wasn't even about her own creativity about creating her canvases and then selling those it was about this experience for the experience yeah and what it's done is it's brought a lot of other things to her so she's had commissions from other people for their homes because she's been so visible at these wedding fairs and people are seeing this beautiful work that she's doing so that's the boredom factor thing, isn't it? She's been so busy then doing other things. She's been invited to do exhibitions in France and in the UK. It's just opened up a lot of doors for her. Um, and that's how I work with my clients is let's look at how we take you to the world and how you do it in a way that keeps you, A, making money, but be happy. Wow, that's a that's a really great example. That's that's really inspiring to think that you can do that with just about anything. Yeah. Um, and so it's interesting to me what has influenced you in terms of starting this particular business and building your skills as a coach. What are the things that you have come across that have helped you in your shaping of the work that you do? I think it was I think Working in retail did me a lot of favors because I was able to use my coaching and, and you know, some of the companies I worked for were great and they paid for me to do further qualifications. And I, you know, I've got six coaching qualifications and I've got a degree in psychology and a, a diploma in management studies. And I think it's all of that, this lifelong learning but also the implementation and watching the power of coaching people and how it can change their lives and their careers and their confidence and their outlook in life. Um, So it's that I love that. I'm drawn to that. That's part of my creativity. I love, it's almost like painting people, if that makes sense. I get to watch them change into something that's more them. I watch them get back to themselves. That's fantastic. And, and I like that kind of, taking of those, what we would typically call business skills, right? And applying them in a way that really just helps people, to your point, become more of who they are. And, And that's just really, really powerful. And so one of my next questions is, why Scotland? What has, what inspired you to Scotland? Well, I came here to university. I, I did my degree in Scotland and that I was a, a girl from Manchester and my parents moved me kicking and screaming to Northumberland, which was for me like as far north as I could imagine. And then I went to uni in Scotland. I got a place in Edinburgh um, and I did my degree there and I fell in love with Scotland. I love Scotland, love the people, love the history, love the landscape. All And as a creative, those things are quite important. Um, and then I worked all around the country and went back to England. And I think I spent 20 odd years trying to get back to Scotland. And when I met my late husband, we holidayed in Scotland all the time. 
he had cystic fibrosis and had had a double lung transplant. So he couldn't fly anywhere. So we holidayed in Scotland. So the the love for Scotland got even deeper as we traveled and visited different places. And I just had this vision of owning, it's quite romanticized, isn't it? Of owning a Scottish castle and bringing people from all around the world to this Scottish castle to do creative retreats. That was my vision. Um, And we're able to visualize things quite big as creatives. And as an entrepreneur, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to put that on my vision board. It's huge, but I'm going to put it on my vision board. Um, And it's about that, I think. And then I just love it here. I love the people here and ending up back here on on a mini version of what I'd actually put on my vision board means everything to me. It's like, this is where I'm staying now. I love that. I love that. And I'm curious, as you talked about kind of this visioning activity and, um, you know, creatives really being able to come up with those grand, grand plans and grand ideas, what advice do you have for those of us who might not have a brain that's wired that way and can't even necessarily think about when someone says we'll create a vision board and my default is more of the same, this, this is fine. Um, So (laughs) I'm curious what advice you might have for somebody like me. I think it's a learned skill. And I, I do a vision, I do a planning and goal setting and a vision board workshop every year inside my creative mastermind. But I actually opened it up to the public this year and people came along and they were blown away And I teach mind mapping on a large scale. So I get a piece of wallpaper and a load of Sharpies and we draw a mind map that's four foot, five foot big and really think about what is it you want? What's the big thing that what's you close your eyes and imagine what when you were a little girl, what did you want to be? Were you singing in a hairbrush? Were you, you know, what did you want to be? Because we forget what we imagined as children when we're in this life that we end up in on that hamster wheel and it's about taking you back to the things that you dreamed of and whether you still want to make those a reality um because we accept I think we we as human beings we just accept the status quo and don't think bigger than that because we're in it so it's about challenging yourself and saying dare I think bigger dare I think of something that I really 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 want or do I think about it and tell myself, no, that's not going to happen? It's hmm. a, a good activity. Maybe I'll get myself a big easel and do some mind mapping as we roll into 2023. Mm-hmm. It could very well be. Mm-hmm. So when you think about the journey that you've had, what are some of the things that you're most proud of in your career and in your entrepreneurship? I think... Where I am now, having this, being able to do creative retreats as well as helping women through my program, but being able to bring women here and take them away from their lives and bring them to this wonderful place in Scotland for a week or for four days. I do four day and seven day retreats and watching the effect that that has on them because they're using words like magical And I feel like a teenager again. These are the descriptions I'm getting from the women that have been here and done retreats and watching the impacts. But not only that, watching them go away from the retreat and do dramatic things with their lives. 
I'm very proud of actually getting to where I had that on my vision board and doing it now, because that was a 10 year plan two years ago. And here I am doing it. Wow. Yeah. So you just jumped in with both feet. Yeah, I literally, like I said, put the house on the market, sold it the same day. It was a year after Gary had died and then thought, damn, I better go and find something in Scotland to buy then, hadn't I? And uh, viewing houses and this one came up and it was a total fixer upper. It needed completely renovating. It was an old bank on the high street, seven bedrooms, um, but it needed a new roof. It needed new walls and it was a big project. But for me, as an artist, it was like a great big canvas, wasn't it? So I was like, you know what? I'm going to put a cheeky offer in for this, see if I can get it cheap and I'm going to do it. So, yeah, that's that's been the journey, I suppose, and where I am and what I've done and then seeing the difference I can make through that. I mean, we're early days yet in the business. This is still a baby business. Still, you know, we're just about to launch retreats for next year. So, we're all growing all of the time, aren't we? Absolutely. And and to your point about that learning mindset yeah. and and that pension for doing something different and trying it and see if seeing if it works, right? I think we yeah. have we have talked about coaching previously on the program and I always think about coaching as a, a chance to help people experiment. And try something new and try something different and almost give them permission to do something like that, that might be outside their norm. Outside of the comfort zone. I mean, I do coach one-to-one as well. I don't do it very often because my time is very precious, but I am coaching somebody one-to-one at the moment. And it is that, I think coaching, there's a responsibility in coaching, A, to coach the person, but B, to challenge them and to push them and to say, actually, what could you do? Could you do this? What? How far can you push this within safe boundaries um, of, you know, you're this big person and you're not living up to it yet. So I think there's a little bit of a responsibility to to help them to hold the hand. And as you think about that, what are some of the pieces of advice that you would have for our listeners? I think for me, it's, you know, accept and recognize that you are worth, you are worthy of investment, whether that investment is time, whether it's education, whether it's in money and investing in yourself in paying someone to help you, because sometimes we can't get there on our own. I think, you know, it's first recognizing that, isn't it? Sometimes we need help and we need different types of help along our journey in life. It's not always the same thing, is it? Um, Secondly is, you know, allow yourself to dream and to think big. And if that's really what you want, follow that dream. Surround yourself with the right people, find the right help. That's wonderful, wonderful advice. Where can our listeners find you uh, and find out more about your work? Well, you can find me on mandynicholson.co.uk. That's my main website. I do have a website for the art bank. It's called theartbankdalbiti.com. That's Dalbiti in Scotland. And all of my socials are on the website. So you can find, I am everywhere on social media. um, And I'm often doing podcasts. I was on Fox, I did an interview for Fox TV on um, Thursday night. 
so yes, I've had a busy week this week. <laughs> well, we are thrilled that you could spend some time with us today. We will make sure all of your contact information appears in our show notes. And I can't wait to see what the Art Bank does next. And I'm so excited to watch what happens for you and your new business. Thank you so much for being here with us today. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for listening in on this latest episode of Uplifting Women podcast. Holly and Kristen appreciate your dedication to Uplifting Women and look forward to you joining them again soon. This podcast is sponsored by upliftingwomen.net, as well as Holly Tesca Coaching and Consulting and Regent Leadership Group. Please visit your favorite platform where you found this podcast to leave a review. If you are an uplifting woman or a man who champions women's success with a story to share, Kristen and Holly would love to talk to you. Please visit upliftingwomen.net and leave us a message.